Yeah, and I've seen that. Like I, I saw a f- like a fishing game, or I don't know who it was. It was like a a lady in a, a uniform on top of Franconia Ridge, and I talked to her one time. So I don't know what her role was. And then there, I've seen another one on the top of Tuckerman on Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. and you know they were just directing people around. So yeah, very good, awesome news. Who knows how many rescues they've prevented? I mean, honestly, good, good, good people. Yeah, yeah. And can I tell you, every time I see the trail stewards at like a, at a trailhead, if I'm hiking it, like I always like, <laughs> this is bad. Don't do this, but I've got experience <laughs> so I can get away with it. Um, I'll wait. I'll wait until like a crowd goes near and, you know, this, the trail stewards are like talking to other people and then I'll try to like walk up and like kind of walk around and just sneak Bypass. my way past them. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Leave me alone. <laughs> and they're like, hey, you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've talked to them before, but uh, yeah, I'm just antisocial. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Uh, episode seven, Stomp. We're making uh, we're making our way into the tens here. All right. <laughs> Nothing stopping us now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So today was a big day for the podcast. I don't know. Well, I'm still working on like the announcements and all this stuff. Like it's way. This is way more work than I had planned. Like I, I just wanted to like <laughs> sit there and talk, and then all this shit just gets magically like put on the internet. But it's not really like that. But um, we are. Yeah, it I, is. I, it's yeah, a lot of work. It is. So I we just released the first two episodes on Apple and Spotify and released the website and stuff. So um, yeah. I, I get the shit end of the stick here. So just for the audience's per, um, reference, like we've got kind of the work <laughs> split up and Stomp does all of the audio and editing and all that fun stuff. <clears throat> and I'm, Somehow I, I'm stupid enough. I, I picked like the social media and the technical web, website, website stuff. So it's a, it's been an interesting <laughs> journey. <laughs> you can edit. You can edit all the ums and... Uh... <laughs> Uh, basically's and <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I know that's my father so I I got rid of the ums but I replaced them all with basically's but um, there's another um right there my kids uh, so I am impressed though with the podcast stuff because my kids always give me a hard time about like not being like technically adept and I, I really don't think that they would be able to figure out how to get a podcast up and running hmm yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think my kids, I don't know if they, they haven't dabbled in this yet, but they definitely have done other things on the web that are pretty cool. But they sort of grew up with me tinkering around with audio and stuff like that anyway. So I've maybe exposed them to a little bit more of this stuff. Yeah. But, uh, it's a quick, it's a quick thing to learn. Not too yeah. bad. Yeah. Honestly, like I'm not that technically savvy, but it's, it, it, you can figure it out pretty well. I mean, we're... We're getting, we're getting it done. And, you know, my kids, as much as they like to call me a boomer, like I'm in Generation X, like they don't understand. Like we grew up in a time where there was no technology. So everything that they have now from a technical perspective, like we've <laughs> learned as we've gotten older. So I feel like we have a much better perspective than they do. Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you remember the uh, the Ataris and all that stuff growing up? Oh, oh yeah. I used to play Atari, Atari 800 all and all that. Oh, yeah. man. It's amazing to see where it's gone. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we're getting there, ironing out the kinks. Yeah. So, just for everyone's reference, we we loaded the po- the um the podcast up, so you can find us on Apple and Spotify, and um we've got the website, which is called slasherpodcast.com. So we'll have a like a new version of the outro on this show. So the I think the outro previously had just talked about like finding us on Instagram and, and Facebook and you know now mm-hmm. we actually have a real website that you can go to so so we're making progress absolutely so this week we continue our intro to New Hampshire hiking series with a segment on the best beginner hikes in the White Mountains looking to get a friend or family member into hiking and want to make sure that they get lots of views and enjoyment out of their first hike without working too hard We have it covered with a list of hikes that are going to get your lazy kids or your skeptical significant other hooked on hiking. (laughs) 
Later in the show, we'll cover a recent search and rescue event on Mount Monadnock. And for a sneak preview, it involves an iPhone light, a cliff, some Instagram videos, and a helicopter ride. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll finish the show up with some unsolved crime discussion. And we're also going to try to solve the question of whether or not hiking is actually becoming more popular. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. So, Mike, what are you drinking tonight? So, Anything? the traditional drink discussion, I am drinking, it's called Rainbow Gravy. And it is by <laughs> Black Hog Brewing Company. And it's 7.5% alcohol. So, I've taken like two sips. It's it's pretty, it's a solid IPA. So <laughs> One and done. <laughs> I think so. I think this is about my max. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm having a... Uh, what is it? A Moat Mountain Czech Pilsner. Nice. Is that turkey, a you, turkey dinner in a bottle? Nice. I feel like you didn't you have that before? You had something by Moat Mountain. Um, yeah, I believe so. I, I can't quite remember, but uh, yeah, it's really good. It's one of my favorites. I I like a heavier beer in general, but um, it's really decent. Yeah, yeah. The um, I love going to Moat Mountain. Where my in laws live in that area, so we're we're always over there. So I. I Always stop into the mode after a hike when I can. Get the slider plate. Highly recommend it. And uh, just to to go back to the previous episode, remember all that talk about the nudes? Yes, yeah. We had a lot of naked discussion between my beer and the uh, the bald face <laughs> naked people. Well, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to mention. After the fact, we noticed. You want to you want to correct an error or something? No, no. We just I I totally missed it. You were drinking a beer. That was referring to nudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't. I mean, we were talking about it in like the after we edited it because I had, I had bought the beer before we had the discussion and we hadn't planned to talk about like naked people on the bald face loop. I just threw that in there, and then lo and behold, <laughs> Stomp had naked people on the bald face loop. So, <laughs> not planned. Right. It was so weird. Yeah, it was. So, uh, <laughs> there is a hike naked day though. I think that that's a thing for sure. It is. That's uh, Appalachian Trail. Is it? Yeah, once a year they have um, a day, and I, I forget what it is. But my my lovely bride has participated actually, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Not sure she'll be thrilled for you uh, sharing that with the podcast universe. <laughs> the thirty people that are going to listen to the show, you know. Um, yeah. You know, as we're talking about this, there was a story like I think it was like it was probably like three or four years ago, but I'm pretty sure that I read online. That fish and game used trail cameras, and it might have been on the Oliverian Brook Trail, but there was like a naked guy spotted on the trail cameras or something. <laughs> Maybe I'm misremembering that. I'm going to have to do some research, but if anyone's listening to this and they can validate that story, I'm pretty sure that there was like an investigation going on around a naked person that was walking around trailheads in the whites. But maybe I'm, riot. I can't remember. That's so. a riot. So I guess it's illegal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I remember people talking about the fact that they said you know, fishing game uses trail cameras to keep an eye on things around the trailhead. So, and again, I don't have no idea if that's even true or not. So, oh yeah. But, so just around the trailheads in general. I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Maybe they use them to keep an eye out for people that are breaking into cars or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Good point. Good point. There's been a lot of that actually, especially this summer. Yeah, yeah. Over the uh, over the years, you always get a few car break in. So I always people say to just leave anything that's not valuable. Uh, you know, just, just don't put anything valuable in your vehicle and just leave the car unlocked when you go hiking on the trailheads. Which you know, I could see it both ways. Like I definitely leave some things in my car that I wouldn't want. I just don't feel I'm too lazy to take them out. But I also understand the idea is that it's better if somebody's in there just looking to steal some change or some basic stuff out of your car, just leave it unlocked versus getting a window smashed. I guess. Yeah, I've talked to people about that. It's a really odd trade-off, right? <laughs> leave your car open and yeah, who knows? It's weird. I've been lucky so far. Knock on wood. The conventional wisdom is just leave your car unlocked and if somebody's going to break in, they won't smash a window, so... Hmm. Anyway, but um, so I think the next thing we typically talk about is is hikes stop. So you've got your bad hip. So I'm assuming you can't go for a hike, right? Well, I've been trying. I've been pushing it. Just um, I think it was yesterday. 
with this beautiful weather that's rolling in, I went down around the bend to Welch Dickey. I was just determined to get out there and do something. So I actually went up the ledges side as if I were going to Mount Dickey. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I set a goal for myself for 15 minutes up and then 15 back because I just didn't want to get stuck up there. Were Believe you it or not, that's it the whole time? Were you in a crutch? No, you know what I did? Well, I, I've been using a single crutch, but I used two hiking poles. And I'm really forcing myself to try to walk with a normal pattern as if I were hiking with two poles. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what a surgery like this does, man. I'm gassed out after like five minutes, but I'm back on the trail, you know, hiking up, hiking down like I was. So I'm really encouraged about this. It was really funny. In the parking lot, I noticed the car of one of the PEMI members. Uh, Her name's Jen Adams. She's really cool. She's great. So I left her a little note that she missed me gimping around on the uh, ledge side. (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice one. Take it slow. Take it slow. We don't want you to be in a starring role on one of our news stories here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Slow and steady. How about you? Um, unfortunately, I didn't get out for a hike last weekend. And um, I was planning on going out Saturday, but I actually got a, a COVID vaccine appointment. So that kind of uh, threw me for a loop. But I am. I got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is nice. So I'm going to go get stuck on Saturday and then Sunday looks kind of rainy so hmm. I think what I'm going to do is just hit the Ossipes maybe do like a Mount Roberts and Mount Shaw loop or something like that so um, oh, I'll report back on the next yeah so I'm figured I figured like that uh, that area I mean if it rains it's not going to be great but I'm thinking that that area might be pretty good for hiking but then again those carriage roads get ridiculously muddy and i'll probably be mm-hmm. covered in ticks by the end of the day so we'll we'll see how it goes <clears throat> i was wondering about that i think it's it's going to be an early tick season this year for sure who knows yeah, we'll see yeah. i well i have a system i just i walk on all the rocks so i stay out of the grass and, and no ticks come on me it's, it's worked for 15 <laughs> years for me hey what's your prediction for this coming weekend saturday is supposed to be 70 this could be the big the big boom for search and rescue this weekend. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, typically, um, you know, you know, I, I monitor the statistics on the search and rescue events. And mm-hmm. typically, you'll see a very slow first quarter of the year, January, February, in March. But that hasn't been the case this year. It's been busy. Yeah. I think like every episode, we've had at least two that we've covered. Um and then you see the big spike usually happens in like May. Mm-hmm. So it's still a little early right now because we're in like the f- second week of April when we're, we're recording this. But you'll see like a huge spike in May. And then July and August or June, July and August continue upward. And then you'll see a little bit of a dip in September in October. And then usually everything dies in November, December. But this year, like November and December was busy too. So I think... Mm-hmm. If the trend continues, then, yeah, it'll be a busy year for sure. Yeah. Just anecdotally, what we notice is that whenever it's, you know, 70 down south in Mass or Rhode Island, that's when people start thinking like, ooh, (laughs) summer's here, let's go hike in the ridge. And uh, it's still full-on winter up there. So, anyway, we will see. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Like you know, from from my perspective, uh, the more incidents that happen, the more content we have. Um, as long as people stay relatively, you know, we don't want anyone dying for the content on the show. But it is interesting to hear people getting in trouble. <laughs> you know, I know you guys don't like to go out, but for me, I'm like, I can just sit here and talk about it. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, so I'll report back on the hike, and who knows, maybe I'll switch it up. Maybe I'll go on Franconia Ridge to see if it's a zoo like like you think it will be. But mm. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. we got to get into our first segment here. So um, the intro to New Hampshire Hiking Series, so we've covered a bunch of topics here. Um, we're talking about beginner hikes today, so... The idea here is that you're, you know, you got a friend or you're just listening to this podcast and you've never hiked and you want to get out there and get experience and either that or you have a friend that hasn't hiked or a family member and you want to get them to the point where they get really into hiking. Mm -hmm. So the criteria here is they've got to be short hikes, so nothing more than a couple miles. Uh, You have to have good views or interesting sights 
And then we're not including any waterfalls in this subject because next week we're going to do uh, a waterfall segment. So uh, that's that's the criteria stomp. So mm-hmm. I just think we're both going to pick three hikes here. And for the audience's reference, uh, one of the good things about like me and Stomp, my experience is all on the North Conway side. So I can give you sort of that that particular area and then Stomp, you're over by like what, Thornton and Lincoln, right? Right. And and Lakes Region as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's a whole whole world in the Lakes Region. So oh, yeah. Do you, you want to go first? You want to you give you sure. your three best? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, it's sort of hard whittling these down to three, but uh, and I, I, I sort of cringe mentioning this first one, but I'm going to say it. Mount Major. <laughs> oh, nice! You know you have nice. you have to say it. It's one of those places that gets overrun with people on the wrong days. But if you can pick a day that's really um, you know midweek or something like that, the view is stunning of the lakes region and of the mountains to the north. So it's actually a really short hike. You can pick some really gentle routes up to the summit, and uh, on the on the right day, it's perfect. It is. I mean, you just expect it's going to be a zoo up there. I mean, my perspective, I've only done Mount Major. I did it like on a field trip with my kids, but it was beautiful. I mean, the view is amazing. And if I were going to do it again, I would just probably go there at like five in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to do it, actually. Yeah, I've done it two or three times, and um, one was for sunset. There were maybe a half dozen people up there, and that was a weekend. But yeah, definitely consider that one. For my second pick, I'm going to go with... Mount Cardigan, actually. It's located in Orange, New Hampshire. It can be challenging, but with the right route, it's a stunning summit. It's a bald mountain. Again, there are days where it may be a little busy, but um, it's a great hike. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a uh, you know cool fire tower up top. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I we went from the Cardigan Lodge and then went up to like fire screw in that area like i wouldn't call that a beginner hike i think coming up the other side is more of a beginner hike yeah i'm talking the western side for sure okay absolutely yeah the 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 western side's much easier the eastern side is much more difficult yeah yeah it's a great hike yeah we'll qualify that (laughs) can i can i expand my list to four (laughs) yeah yeah you're fine two really quick ones you don't even have to do Welch Dickey. If you want a really nice first hike, if you park at the Welch Dickey parking lot and just hike in a mile up the Welch Trail, you'll come to this amazing overlook. It overlooks the Sandwich Dome, Sandwich Range, uh, the, the Tri-Pyramids. It's really a beautiful view for a, a very short, fairly easy hike. Consider that. That's right in my backyard, and I can't tell you how many times I've done it, and I, it never fails to blow me away. It's just so pretty. You want all those people invading your neighborhood, huh? Yo, know, they already have. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. <laughs> Secret's out. <laughs> yes, and then here's my last one. This is this is three. This is my official three. <laughs> okay. Mount Pemijawasset, which is right up in Flume Gorge. It's um, on Route 3, the old Route 3. It's a mile and a half hike to an overlook that looks sort of southeast towards Lincoln, towards you know Tecumseh, and a, f- a few of the ranges to the south. So that's a really nice, gentle hike as well. There are two approaches. There's the Mount Pemi-Jawasset Trail, and then the other trail, um, which I can't recall the name of, but it starts from the Flume Gorge parking lot. So those are my, my picks for the beginners. What's the deal with... So Mount Pemi is going to be where I'm finishing my 52 with a view so i'm i'm i think i got two or three more 52 with the views and then what i'm doing is i'm stringing together a single hike that is going to finish up the 52 with a view the terrifying 25 and the 4,000 footer so i'm going to go from mount pemigoasset to the flume slide to Mount Cannon in a single hike, and that'll finish up all three lists this summer. But um, with with Pemi, what's the, does it go under the highway? Is that I because I was looking at the trail map the other day, and it looks like it you have to go like under the highway or something. It does, yeah. The trail goes right under ninety three. Is it like a tunnel or something? Because I'm thinking I don't like those tunnels; they freak me out. I think of like the Pennywise the Clown or something. <laughs> yeah, they're very short tunnels, though. <laughs> Are they? Okay. They're maybe like 30 yards or something. But uh, yeah, it's a strange way uh, that they had to run those trails, but is what it is. You have the interstate going right above there. 
I think that's the case from both trails as well. Yeah, yeah, because I'm going to have to go up. I think when I when I do do it, I'm going to have to go up from the Mount Pema Joasa Trail and then down the other trail to get to the Flume Slide Trail and then up the Flume Slide Trail down and then over to Liberty, down Liberty Springs, mm-hmm. and then connecting to whatever that trail is that takes you up to Lonesome Lake and Cannon. It's going to be a long-ass day. It's like 25 miles or something. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you're going to go up the Pemi Trail, though, because that's a really nice approach to Pemi Jawasset. It's really neat because you sort of come in from under the cliffs, so you get to look up and see the cliffs from below, and then when you get up to the top, you, oh, it's just awesome. That's a long day, man. Yeah, it's going to be a long day, but it'll be fun. I'll get the family to meet me up at Cannon or whatever. So you'll, you'll be joining me, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll take the tram. <laughs> yeah, you can take the tram up. So. Um, but no, those are all good beginner hikes. And I actually, I don't think about that side of New Hampshire that much because my, my family is in the Freiburg area. So I'm always thinking in terms of like for beginner hikes, what's in the North Conway and the, the Pinkham Notch area. So... I when my kids were little, like I have a one in college and I got two high schoolers now, so they're too cool to hike with me. Well, my college one does hike with me, but the other two are too cool to hike with me right now. But I used to take them mm-hmm. and then my two, my niece and nephew. So I had five kids by myself because my wife and my sister-in-law, and my mother-in-law, they would be shopping at like Settler, Settler's Green in North Conway. And I, there's only so much I can, there's only so much shopping I can do. So I would take them hiking. Mm-hmm. And so the three hikes that I'm going to recommend are in the North Conway area and they're great beginner hikes, great kid hikes, a lot of bang for your buck. So my first one is uh, the Black Cap uh, Trail to Black Cap, which is a a small Mm. peak that's right behind Mount Cranmore. It's probably about a mile, mile and a half, gets you up to the ledges in the Green Hills Preserve which is overlooking North Conway. So gotcha. trailhead is at Hurricane Mountain Road. So it's a, a little bit of a sketchy drive going up Hurricane Mountain. And that does close in the wintertime, but you wouldn't want to do this in the winter anyway. Uh, but definitely if you're looking for a good hike and you're in the North Conway area, Black Cap is a perfect beginner hike for you. Now, right next door is um, Kearsage, right? Kearsage North is on the other side. Yeah. So when you go up yeah. to Hurricane Mountain, Kearsarge North, the the um, trailhead is before the gate. You go past the gate and you go up the road on Hurricane Mountain, and then the trailhead for Black Cap is at the top of Hurricane Mountain Road. <laughs> and it's about a mile and a half hike and awesome views. I've taken my kids there a ton of times, and they they love it every time. So it's kind of like right in that zone of like it's not long enough for them to have a meltdown, but it's long enough to tire <laughs> them out, which is perfect. Um, so the next beginner hike that I'm going to recommend is in Pinkham Notch. So you, you park at the beginning of Tuckerman Ravine Trail. So you're just in that Pinkham Notch, Mount Washington area. But instead of going on Tuckerman, what you're going to do is park in the lot. You walk across the street and you'll take the square ledge trail up it's maybe three quarters of a mile to a mile and there's a cliff that overlooks the pinkham notch parking area Hmm. and there's a lot of a lot of times there's like rock climbers there i think a lot of the uh, climbing schools will take classes there because it's probably like a 200 foot cliff that um yeah people will rock climb on and there's a slide that goes off to the side of it that the kids can climb up and then you get up on top of this cliff and then you have a view of huntington and tuckerman and gulf of slides Mm -hmm. right from that cliff so the only thing you have to worry about is like if the kids fall off the cliff like they're gonna die so you just have to keep an eye on them if they're runners but (laughs) generally just stay back a little bit and you're you're in good shape I will check it out. I'm familiar with Glen Boulder, which is a short and sweet one, but it's pretty difficult. That's not a beginner hike. so Yeah. Throwing up the red card on that one. Uh, But yeah, square ledge in, (laughs) but the thing is square ledge in Pinkham Notch. Do not do the square ledge that's off of Olivarian Brook and in the sandwich range because that's that's a, a long hike. And then the last one that I would recommend for a beginner hike is Cathedral Ledge which is in, again, in the North Conway area. 
and it is a you can actually drive up there if you want if you're really lazy which i've done many times oh cathedral yeah uh, but you can hike up i forget the name of the trail so there's a couple of trails you can park at the bottom it's mostly known as like a climbing uh, it's you know it's a huge rock climbing area but there's a trail that bypasses the climbing route and you can go up to the top and then overlook the cliff and then it's almost like directly opposite of black cap so black cap is on the northern side of north conway and looking down into the valley Cathedral Ledge is on the southern side looking into the valley. Um, it's kind of in front of the Moat Mountain Range, so it's maybe about a mile, mile and a half hike to get up top and then get back down. So, And you can even, like, if you have, like, my wife used to just um, drop us off, and then they would drive up, and then we, me and one of my daughters would hike up and meet them. So highly recommend it. And there are a million other options. There are a million no, seriously, other. There's a there's a million Absolutely. Oh, you know, if you go to the north part of uh, Franconia Notch, Artist Bluff, that entire loop is a mile. Um, you can go to Bald Mountain for sunset, and then there's the actual um, Artist Bluff itself, which is a, a quarter mile, if that, to a stunning cliff that overlooks Franconia Ridge and Cannon, and it has this this vertigo-inducing effect because the mountains are just in your face, like boom. So that's a that's another nice one too. Yeah, yeah, and I'll um on the show notes I will put the full list of all the hikes that we've covered here, and then I'll take a look at my Strava routes and link any of the uh, the GPS coordinates of the hikes that we've talked about on the show. So I have a bunch of hikes that I've done that I can look through Strava to see if I can just get get the routes for you. But there's any any other big ones we've missed. So I think we probably want to talk about Mount Willard too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Willard, Sugarloaf. Um, there's so many, but those two are definitely worth adding quickly. Yeah, yeah, huge. Um, you know, not a lot of hiking and amazing views. Willard looks down into Crawford Notch, and then Middle Sugarloaf gives you views of, I don't know what that area is called, but like the twins and things like that. And it's only about a two, three mile hike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Willard's really interesting too, because what is it? Maybe. Uh, three quarters of a mile vertical and then it flattens out for a mile it's a very strange hike yeah yeah it is a um it, usually when people say like oh i want to go hiking what's a good first hike like 90 percent of the time on social media people will say mount willard so um but the goal here is like if you're thinking about a beginner hike uh, don't let people convince you to do something that's over your head or over your ability and even when you're taking somebody with you even if they're in good shape and uh, you know you feel like okay they can handle it like just be careful about bringing people up to like Mount Washington or even you know the 4000 footers cuz the worst thing that you can do especially with kids is um, just burn them out and get them to the point where they uh, you know they they go past their limit yeah yeah for sure that happened to me with my uh, 6 year old i took her up um, glen boulder this is crazy it took three three of my daughters up to Lake of the Clouds Hut for a weekend. It was like 90 degrees out. I ended up carrying my six-year-old on my back the whole way up. It was just yeah, it's not fun. Totally burnt out. Yeah. No, it burnt. It burnt her out. It gave her a really bad taste for hiking. I mean, she's much older now in college, and she does actually enjoy hiking again. But for the longest time, she's like, nope, <laughs> not doing it. Nope. Yeah, yeah. It's the same with me. As I, there's an, actually another good hike that I would recommend for beginners is Cave Mountain, which is off the the Mount Langdon Trail, which we took when we, we hiked Mount Parker. But if you go off to the left. That's when I made you yeah. break trail the whole way up, right? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, exactly. So the Mount Langdon Trail, it's like, it's right in, so if you go into Bartlett, instead of taking a left onto Key, onto Beer Notch Road, you take a right and you go over the, I don't know what that river is, the Swift River or something. The Mount Langdon Trailhead is right there. And then you just go on that trailhead go to the left and there's a um, it's maybe about a mile and a half hike and it gets you to this we, it's called cave mountain but it's not really like you're not on top of a mountain it's just this series of caves that the kids love they love to explore it but my i think i took my youngest one at the time she was probably like five or six and i had five kids and just me and it's a there's like a steep section to get up to the caves and she she had a bit of a meltdown and ever since then she's like i'm not i'm not hiking with you Mm. So you just got to be careful. So don't don't bring people beyond their limits. And, you know, hiking with kids is tricky. We'll probably do a separate show just talking <laughs> about hiking with kids. Yeah, 
definitely worth it because it's, it's a wonderful activity for children. It is. Yeah, it's great. And like I said, we will put the list of hikes that we recommend on the show notes page so that you can research it. And uh, hopefully this will get you started and on the path to doing some 4,000 footers. But that's that's a wrap on this segment. Stomp, unless I missed anything. Yeah, we're good. Moving on. All right. Segment two is recent search and rescues. Saturday, April 3rd, there was a skier who had a steep fall down the Gulf of Slides, which is the southeast side of Mount Washington. This was a 61-year-old gentleman from Delaware. He fell about 1,000 feet. I mean, this is a really tricky time of the year, Mike, because the snow up there, certain places you can still deal with avalanches, but now the snow's compressing, and there's a lot of ice in certain sections, and uh, it can be very unforgiving. If you lose your footing on the way up, you're in big trouble. He was coming down a popular route called the Main Gully. After the slide, U.S. Forest Service Rangers took immediate action. They tried to get a DART helicopter to assist in the rescue, but the DART helicopter was unable to actually land near the patient. Do they ha- did they have to land, or could they just like can't they just put them in a uh, what is that litter called that they can hoist them up on? Well, the DART helicopter doesn't have the capability to hoist. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so they have to land um, and get the litter inside the helicopter, and then they could have taken off, but they just couldn't find a suitable spot to to land in order to do that. Yeah, there's no openings in the Gulf of Slides. It's not like Tuckerman where you've got like a a big open area. A lot of vegetation. Yeah, it's all true. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Lots of trees, yeah. absolutely. It's a, it's very different than Tuckerman's. Yeah. So the, um, the conservation officers that were there and um, the U.S. Forest Service rangers decided to try to get a Army National Guard helicopter in because that helicopter does have the ability to lower a medic and a hoist and clip it on to a litter or a sked and then elevate them. But unfortunately, they ran out of time. They just thought that it was going to be dark soon and it wasn't a viable option. The two, the two helicopter options didn't work out and that happens a lot in search and rescue. So their last choice was to take this injured person out by litter, <laughs> which is a whole lot of fun for everybody involved. Yeah, I can imagine. So that's then they're faced with basically, I don't know how you get out of the Gulf of Slides. It must be, there must be like skin tracks or, or can you ski all the way out of there? I have no idea. I don't know either, but I'm assuming that you could just grab a, a certain altitude contour and walk yourself over towards Tuckerman's. Um, that's a good question for some folks like Jimmy and a few others that have done it. So here's, here's an interesting thing. I guess this guy's boot popped the second he made his first turn. Yeah. So his boot popped out of his ski and that, prompted the fall yeah and i know so i have backcountry skis and i've i mean i've done it a little bit but like i you know i like resort skiing but i do have the backcountry set up and my bindings are like set up so that they unclip unclip at the ankle but i have regular you know it's a it's a full binding but i think most backcountry skis have like the pins in the front and then you clip in in the back, which is kind of a delicate setup. So I don't know. I would assume that he mm-hmm. hopefully tested those before he, he tried them out. But I don't know. I mean, a thousand foot fall was just ridiculous. I can't even imagine what that must feel like. <clears throat> I, when I used to ski, for me, it was a matter of making sure that that would never happen. Like I remember cranking down those those knobs so that there was really very little chance that those would pop off. I mean, that's the last thing you want to happen. Yeah, again, I don't know. I have, like I said, I have backcountry bindings, but I have the kind that are like a full binding that unclip. Uh, Maybe he was using like the ones that are just like sort of the pins on the toe. But I don't know. I don't know enough about backcountry skiing to know how to make sure your equipment doesn't fail. Yeah, we're just speculating. We need a skier to come on the show here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to get uh, Jeff Rogers or somebody on here to explain the ways of backcountry skiing. Oh, that'd be great. 
So that's basically it. I mean, this happened at 4 p.m. They they used the litter to get him out by 9 o'clock. It doesn't really talk about any rescue teams involved, but it does mention volunteers. So I'm not sure if those are just, you know, good Samaritans that offered to help out or if they physically called, like, you know, Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue to assist. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I did see the next day the, the Mount Washington Avalanche Facebook page, I forget what that group is, was asking if anybody was in the area, if they would be willing to take the um, the sked back up to Tuckerman. So they must have taken the sked from the Tuckerman area and then brought it over or yeah, whatever it is. I don't, I don't know what it is, but they, they were looking for help on bringing it back up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, hopefully the guy's doing okay. A thousand feet is like a ridiculous fall though. Yeah, it yeah it doesn't really say anything about injuries either. So hopefully he's okay. Now this uh, second one, right? We are moving to the southern part of the state. This is Mount Monadnock. Correct. Eight twenty-five p.m. Sunday, April fourth. A forty-year-old woman uh, from Massachusetts reported that she was in the Monadnock State Park on the White Arrow Trail, and she did not have a light source. And she lost light and was unable to move. Her cell phone battery died. But before that happened, thankfully, 911 was able to provide GPS coordinates for her location. This person was about half a mile up the mountain from the end of Old Toll Road in Jaffrey. Officers from Fishing Game arrived at about 9.20 p.m. So, yeah, this is an interesting one stop. So, I think... In the news reports here, it says that she started her hike at 6 p.m. You know, I don't want to speculate on anybody's personal situation, but I think from what I can tell on this one, you know, there might have been some personal distress going on here and some decisions that weren't really uh, as rational as they they should be. You know, starting a hike at 6 o'clock with no light, you know, I think that, you know, my understanding from some of this is that she was having maybe some some kind of a personal struggle here but yeah, it's tough to speculate but there was some videos on instagram that seemed to indicate that there was a little bit of oddness here so she she was like live videoing the situation as it was happening and you were able to go on an instagram page to kind of see that there wasn't a lot of urgency to get down even though she, you know the the person knew that they were running out of light it's very very odd i don't know do you guys deal with that a lot like people that have sort of distressing situations and and kind of head out into the woods to clear their head and they don't they get in trouble uh yes and no a lot of the times um a lot of those details aren't really important for our job so we don't necessarily get provided with that information yeah you don't care i'm just i'm a busy body so i just i'll use my opinion but um no it's totally cool but um i mean in general when you do find a person, you can tell what state of mind they're in pretty quickly. Every victim is different, and um, you know if the situation was, you know, a legitimate injury, or if they just made a mistake and got lost, or if something else is afoot. You, you can read people pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and I know, like, I, I just I'm speculating based on you know what was on social media and what you know what I saw on my own, but I'm not qualified really to to even make make an assessment here, but I can tell you that like, you know, starting a hike at six o'clock, not having light, being in an area where you're not familiar and, you know, having to call 911, it's, you know, it was a, regardless of what the situation, it was a rough night for this person. And and the news story, it says that she was, uh, you know, she had a really bad fall and she's lucky that she's alive. So. Yeah. Well, I was just going to um, talk about that. They, they found her around 10 PM. Apparently they learned that after her battery died, she began to panic and just began hiking down in the dark. So she did have a 20-foot fall and landed on um, a rocky ledge below this, this cliff area. Apparently, she suffered serious injuries to the right side of her body. Yeah, yeah. And Mananoc has a lot of rescues on it. And a lot of times you don't even hear about it because there's like a ranger station right at the bottom. So they... You know, a lot of times they'll just, you know, they'll rescue people and it never makes the news. You don't even, you, know, you don't really have an idea of how, how frequent it is. But, you know, this time of night, there's just not a lot of people around. So they probably had to get, get, get a rescue organized pretty quickly. In this case, they used a bunch of different resources. Um, cultural Resources Mountain Patrol Rangers, members of the Jaffrey Fire Department, Peterborough Fire Department, 
and the Upper Valley Wilderness Response Team, which is a volunteer group. They actually had to med-flight her to uh, UMass Memorial. That was about 2 in the morning. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And that, um, was it the White Dot or White Cross Trail? It's actually White White Arrow, White, White Arrow, Arrow Trail. Yeah, I haven't been on that one then, but the, the main trail where people come up and down is like White Cross or White Dot, and there's a lot of accidents there because it's just, Monadnock's just a sheer cliff or open ledges um, in a lot of areas, so people tend to just lose their footing and get injured, so it's unfortunate. Barring any psychological things that may be part of the story or maybe not, um, I think the big takeaways would be that you need a light source. And if you're a newbie hiker, trying some of these new trails that we've suggested tonight, go with somebody. Don't try to do this stuff alone. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm always a big fan. I tell everyone, like, start early. You know, wake up early, make make it an event. Even if you're not a morning person, try to get on the trail early. There's less crowds. Usually the views are more spectacular. You might catch an undercast, and you know you don't risk a situation where you might be out in the you know out too late where you don't have a light. But always bring a light with you. But you know I prefer to just hike early, so I don't have to deal with any of that. And always visit hikesafe.com if you have any questions. <laughs> now, would they ever? Uh, would there ever be a scenario you think where you would? Your your volunteer organization would get called to help down in that area of like Cardigan and Monadnock, or sure. it would have to be like a search, right? Yeah, more than likely it would be a search scenario. Yeah, I mean they they can muster up enough people to carry somebody down these peaks in these areas. You know, Cardigan, Monadnock. You're talking what two to three thousand footers. So generally, that's that's manageable with the uh, the amount of people that they can muster. But if it's a search or a multi-day search, then they need, uh, you know, all hands on deck. All right. So those are, so two search and rescues in New Hampshire this week. Mm-hmm. Yep. The peace before the storm. Or the calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May is coming. It's going to get busy, I can tell. Yeah, as it always does. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else on search and rescue you want to you talk about, or we want to move on to the next topic? Mm, let's see. Is there anything in the background here? Oh, I do have news that um, the trail stewards are going to be back in action this year. Oh, so that's very that's nice. good news. Yeah, I was, I was talking to um, a ranger from the U.S. Forest Service this morning, and um, the trail stewards are going to be in action at the trailheads, uh, a few key locations, and they're actually talking about doing alpine stewards, which will be people up on places like Franconia Ridge interacting with people. So that's fantastic. Yeah, and I've seen that. Like I, I saw a f- like a fishing game, or I don't know who it was. It was like a a lady in a, a uniform on top of Franconia Ridge, and I talked to her one time. So I don't know what her role was. And then there, I've seen another one on the top of Tuckerman on Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. and you know they were just directing people around. So yeah, very good, awesome news. Who knows how many rescues they've prevented? I mean, honestly, good, good, good people. Yeah, yeah, and can I tell you? Every time I see the trail stewards at like a, at a trailhead, if I'm hiking it, like I always like <laughs> this is bad. Don't do this, but I've got experience, <laughs> so I can get away with it. Um, I'll wait. I'll wait until like a crowd goes near, and you know the the trail stewards are like talking to other people, and then I'll try to like walk up and like kind of walk around and just <laughs> sneak Bypass. my way past them. So, yeah, so I don't, I, I'm like I don't want to talk to anybody. Leave me alone. <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, you." <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've talked to them before, but um, yeah, I'm just antisocial. I'm like, oh, I don't want to. Do they like? What do they do? Like, I don't even know. I haven't even interacted with them. I always avoid them. But like, what are they are they like? You need to make sure that you have a light in your backpack. Or I, they don't have any authority to tell anybody anything, but they can just give advice, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've never hung around to see how they operate, but it's one of those weird, uh, weird things. I mean that. How do you approach somebody? How do you start that casual conversation without being so obvious? Like, hey, idiot, come over here. You don't look prepared. You know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, it's got to be very sensitive, delicate approach. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually have a couple of friends that are trail stewards, so I can actually get. We can probably get somebody on the on the podcast in the future. You should. Yeah, I've never asked them though. I should. I got to ask them like what it's like to work that. So, 
Yeah, it's so, it, you know, it, it can be somewhat arbitrary and subjective to a point. So how do they pick people if that's what they even do? I mean, maybe people just walk over to the tables. Um, I guess this year they're going to have barriers though because of COVID. So you can't walk over to the table and violate the distancing and all that stuff. So interesting times. Okay. Yeah, well... We'll have to, we'll save that for another episode. We'll get a, a trailhead steward on here. To, to, they probably have some good stories. So. Yeah. Um, next subject, though, is the one I've been waiting for since we started this damn show. Awesome. Or this damn podcast is uh, Unsolved Mysteries. This is one of your favorite topics, huh? I do. I'm, a, I'm an unsolved mystery junkie, so I like crime. Yeah. And actually, New Hampshire has some really, really interesting cases of um, unresolved uh, murders as well as missing people and um, some other noteworthy crimes. So we are planning to do some like dedicated shows to some of these topics. But what I thought tonight we would do, Stomp, is go through a quick summary of all the interesting cases that are happening here. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? All right, stop. So the you know there's a lot of unresolved uh, mysteries and murders and missing people here. So I'm just gonna go down these one at a time. Awesome. And then you're not like you're not as big you're not as excited about this stuff as I am. But hopefully I can I can pique your interest a little bit. Yeah. Let's see what happens. All right. So the first one we're gonna go back to 1977. Were you alive in Jesus. 1977? Yeah, I was. I was. I'm a 19, you're like 20 years old, right? I'm a 1969 Woodstock baby. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. You're like <laughs> Super Gen X. Super Gen X. So um, 1977, this is an unsolved murder of um, a lady by the name of Sherry Roth, age 22. So um, she left her home alone on Sunday, August 21st, 1977 in North Conway mm-hmm. to go hiking on Sawyer Brook Trail in Livermore. Okay. Um, she did not return home and was reported missing that evening by friends. Her body was discovered on August 24th, 1977, so basically like three days later. Right. An autopsy indicated that she had been strangled to death, and this is listed on the cold case file on the New Hampshire State Cold Case uh, website. And it's an interesting case because uh, it's a... Obviously, a crime of violence. Uh, mm-hmm. What I what I tried to do is try to figure out, like in this case, like would they do they have DNA? You know, that's always the question with these cases. Is back in 1977, DNA was not a thing, but right. like, did they collect enough evidence where they might be able to recover some DNA from the crime scene after the fact today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they there there's a lot of um, cases that are being solved from the 70s, believe it or not, mm-hmm. because the crime scene um, material is saved and they can extract DNA and then through genetic genealogy where they can basically now they can run DNA through a database of DNA and figure out like who your fourth cousin so if if I put my DNA in the in the database and I make it accessible and somebody runs this like criminal DNA if I happen to be like a fourth cousin of a murderer they can by doing um the DNA match and then doing a genetic genealogy search, they can actually find suspects. So they've they've closed like dozens of murder cases over the last two years with, with this technology. So a case like this where it's it's a long shot, but mm-hmm. you know, if they have DNA, they might be able to figure out who you know the perpetrator is. But this is down by where they found her, it was down by where you went in to to hike the captain by oh, Sawyer Pond. Wait a minute, are you talking about the literal spur? Fire Road fifty six? Uh, Sawyer Brook Trail. Oh, okay. So I, gotcha. I think that's, isn't that right off the kank, I, I believe, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, there's two ways to get to it, either from, um, what, 302 and then the other side, the kank. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah, remote, so. remote stretch, man. It really is. It is. It's like scary thinking, like 22-year-old girl, I think she was a photographer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just going out for a a Sunday hike off the kink, uh, the Kangamangas Highway, and uh, unfortunately, she met up with the wrong person and, and was strug- and strangled. It is interesting. There's a couple of people online that have sort of speculated that a potential suspect was this guy who was known as the dating game killer. I think his name's Rodney 
Rodney O'Callor or something like that. I got to take a look at it. But apparently, he had some connections to New Hampshire. There's some dispute around whether or not he was in the area at the time of her strangulation. But it's interesting to think that it could potentially be this dating game killer. So, who knows? So I just scrolled through this uh, Department of Justice site here that you sent over to me. I, I can't believe how many people are listed on this. Yeah, these are all cold cases. Yeah, yeah, it's that's um, amazing. It's a lot, yeah. So, have you gone through a lot of these yourself, just out of curiosity? Yo, yeah, yeah. I've I've got um, all of this put together, and you know, this is sort of like my Saturday night hobby, where I'll go down these rabbit holes to try to figure out, like, you know, how many <laughs> missing people are there in New Hampshire, and are any of these cases kind of interesting and cool? So, huh? You're like Batman. Yeah, yeah. Well, not really, but I'm like Mike <laughs> Mike Man. <laughs> So anyway, but Sherry Roth, again, 22 years old, um, really a horrible case. So hopefully, you know, the cold case unit is, is working on this and has some DNA to work with. Otherwise, I think it's a long shot that they'll ever solve it. Yeah. Just makes me want to go out to the captain solo again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See what you can find out God. there. The next case is Luis Chaput, who uh, this is a pretty well-known case. Um, this happened in 2001. And Luis was a, she's a Canadian national, so she's from Quebec. Uh, I think a psychologist is my recollection. And, you know, was an avid hiker, you know, would frequently go hiking on her own. And in 2001, she came down to Pinkham Notch. She was staying, what, what's the name of the lodges at, at Pinkham Notch where people stay? Is it Joe Dodge? Joe Dodge. Yeah, yeah. So she, I think she had a, like a room or a, or a a bunk bed there and she got there and decided you know she checked in and then decided she was going to go for a quick hike walked over to i think she crossed the street is my recollection there's like that pond there that you can walk towards and then connect with glen ellis falls parking lot so right somehow she met you know somebody she connected with somebody along that trail between pinkham notch and the um Glen Boulder Trail near Glen Ellis Falls parking lot. And mm -hmm. um, I believe that she, the autopsy ruled that her death was a homicide as a result of multiple stab wounds. And there's actually a podcast that was done that broke this case down. I don't, I don't know how many episodes it was. And I wanted to listen to it, but it's in mm -hmm. French language. So it was some Quebec journalist that did a podcast that broke down this, this case. But again, it's another one of these, you know, it's a stabbing case. I don't know if the police have DNA, but mm -hmm. 2001 is um, a much, you know, it's it's a relatively young case for compared to Sherry Roth's situation. So hopefully they they were able to get some DNA and they might be able to get some leads on this, in this case, using genetic de genealogy. But I have no idea. Yeah. The, there was another one in that area. Wasn't there a missing person on Glen Boulder Trail or was this... There was a, um, I believe that was a suicide. It was a, another French Canadian that um, ended his life on around Glen Boulder Trail a few years ago. Huh. If I okay. if I remember correctly, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But but Louis should put. I've read online a couple of things about this. Like, there's some speculation. There's there was an active serial killer in the area in the, the Connecticut River Valley serial killer. I think the main suspect has since died, and I don't know, as far as I know, they don't have anything to tie him to this case, but it seems like you know, a random crime of opportunity that happened, and um, you know, I think it was in the daytime that this happened as well, so it's a mm. really sad case. It happened in, you know, late in the year, November 22nd, uh, was when her body was found in 2001, right mm -hmm. by the uh, vicinity of the Glen Ellis Falls parking lot. So not that far from like civilization. Oh yeah, absolutely interesting. What else do you have? Anything else? Yeah, I got a, a couple of other ones that are interesting. So this is actually this case is closed, but I want to bring it up because I think it's an interesting uh, case. So uh, hypothermia. This was ruled a death of for hypothermia in 2003. It was a young kid. I don't know how old he was, 10, 12 years old, Patrick McCarthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not an active case, but in my view, this is a suspicious death. This was a kid that was on vacation in Loon Mountain area, uh, condominiums. I am familiar with this one. Yeah, yeah. And I got a friend that lives in the, the Clearbrook condo. So mm -hmm. every time I go over there, I think of this kid. But this was a situation where he was playing, you know, Patrick was playing with his stepbrother 
at the Clearbrook condos in Lincoln, and there was some sort of an argument. He disappeared, uh, and then there was a significant search that went on over the course of three, four days. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Patrick's body was discovered on Wheelback Mountain, and the cause of death was determined to be hypothermia. Um, and the reason why I include this case is because it, the the state of New Hampshire has closed this case as a hypothermia death. Why I bring it up is because the the father of Patrick's father was married to a second wife. The first wife's family has been adamant that they feel like there's suspicion that should be and that there should be family members looked at as potentially being involved in this death. Yeah. And the reason why it's always sort of stuck with me is because they found this kid way up high on Wheelback Mountain. Mm-hmm. And I've never been on Wheelback, but you've you've hiked over there and it just seems to me very odd that a kid is gonna run away and get lost and then hike up a mountain versus going down. So I don't know what to think. So the condos were built. They were there. They were built, yeah, okay. 2003. So that's interesting because that is an abandoned trail. So there's no way that this little kid just randomly hiked up there. I can tell you firsthand that it's one of the most confusing areas, unless you've done it a few times. There's no real trail until you get to the higher portions of, towards the summit. And um it's one hell of a hike. I mean, this is not easy terrain. So how the hell would a kid like that get up there? That's amazing. I don't know. I mean, and the thing, what the family, what the, the, I think the father or the mother's, the, the biological family feels that um, the stepmother's brother, who was like the step uncle, was there doing some searches and was acting weird. So like their theory has been that like maybe the uncle was involved in some sort of weird situation with it. And they, you know, there's a whole bunch of um, speculation and I don't know, I don't want to get sued for like, you know, saying something wrong here, but like there's enough here. You can go on the internet and really go down a rabbit hole to really, you know, there's a website that the family has that basically says like they feel like the state of New Hampshire should reopen this case and re-examine it and take a look at some of the step families. So the other interesting thing about this case is that I do not believe that Pemi Search and Rescue was active during this case. And this is 2003. So what would be interesting is um, I've read before that um, right after this was when the volunteer organization started getting really well organized because this was a big, mm-hmm. long search that went on for a couple of days. So yeah. I'd be curious. I don't know what the background is around that, but I wonder if like this might have been what started the idea of like, let's organize the PEMI so that we can address these cases you know, in the future. So those are like three that are sort of like, you know, unsolved murder slash a suspicious death. Uh, with Patrick McCarthy and then there's three more that I'll go through quickly and we'll probably do like a dedicated show to at least one or two of these but these are missing people here so there's three cases in New Hampshire that sort of stand out to me there's a there's a bunch more but these are the ones that are uh, sort of the most well known so first one is Mara Murray so oh, um we I was wondering yeah. if you were going to mention this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't even begin to do justice to a discussion about Mara Murray, but yeah. Just very quickly for people that aren't familiar, you know, 2004 Mara was a college student. So she's a she was a um track distance runner. So she was at a student at UMass Amherst. She had previously been a student at West Point. And um, had had some issues at West Point, transferred to UMass, was in the nursing program. And for unspecified reasons, she um, called out of some class commitments that she had. I think she was driving up maybe on a a Monday morning or something like that. But she decided to drive up to uh, New Hampshire. My suspicion based on where she was found is that she likely went up 91 via Vermont and then cut over to Route 112 in Haverhill, New Hampshire, and was involved involved in a single car accident on 112. Mm-hmm. First responder, you know, a first witness came upon her was a bus driver, local resident that lived right down the street. He asked, you know, you need any help? She said, no, I'm all set. And then, you know, this guy, Butch Atwood, was the name of the bus driver. He drove back to his house, called the police. Police showed up 15 minutes after the crash, 
Mara is nowhere to be found, and, and she hasn't been seen since. And huh. the father's been, you know, looking for years. I think he's done a ton of local searches, and you know, there's been yeah. no sign of her whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heartbreaking story. Yeah, yeah. It's probably, I would say, besides Megan McCain, so that's that little baby that went missing in the UK and Portugal. I would say besides that case, oh, yeah, Mara Murray is probably one of the most famous missing person cases in the world. So right here in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. I happen to work in North Haverhill. And um, just a side note here, a lot of the, my coworkers are, boy, they're, they're just fascinated by the story. And the second you mention it, <laughs> you better sit down and be ready to listen to a mouthful because these people are all over it. They know all the players, really? all, the, all the conspiracy theories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This community was rocked by that story, and they still are. And they're absolutely fascinated by it. So I'm always the first to get the latest gossip. And yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. intense stuff. And it's an interesting thing. Like, again, like we cannot do this justice. Like we would need a five-hour podcast to really dive into this. So there's a whole, I mean, Missing Mara Murray is the name of the podcast that you can listen to. It's got like 200 episodes that cover the case. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. But personally, I think that she, I think she ran and I think that she's in the woods somewhere and she just hasn't been, her body hasn't been discovered. And I, we'll talk about it on future episodes. You know, I'll, I'll connect why I think that that is the case. But there's a very large volume of people who think that, you know, there was a local person involved in, in her disappearance. And there's a lot of my understanding is there's a lot of chatter and a lot of rumors around, you know, who it could be. Uh, you probably if you're local to that area, you know, mm -hmm. let us know who, who's the who's the suspect stomp. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But there's there's a small contingent of folks that actually think that she's alive and took off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not about to throw names out there. I don't want the good people of North Haverhill coming after me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it is like the locals up there. Like, I feel like from what I've seen, like there's a contingent that just is like, leave us the hell alone. Like, we, it's not our problem anymore. It's been years. And then mm -hmm. there's a bunch that are like obsessed with it and like feel like they want to solve it. So it's yeah. uh, it's an interesting topic. But we'll, we'll revisit Mara in future episodes. But I just wanted to throw it out there that that was an unsolved mystery in case people aren't familiar with it. And then there's two more, and we're running out of time here, so I want to get moving a little bit. But these two cases are missing persons that are on that are tied to Mount Washington. All right, I don't know if they're on Mount Washington, but they're tied to Mount Washington. The first one is a Maine resident, um, and this happened in the year 2007. Guy's name is Kevin Race, and it's an odd case. He disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Uh, this is a guy that was scheduled to go to court. Uh, two days after he vanished, he was facing charges accusing him of embezzling nearly, nearly $250,000 from a company that he was a co-owner with. Mm -hmm. um, he was last seen alive on September 9th, 2007, left a note at his home saying that he went to New Hampshire looking for his final resting place. Hmm. Family members say that they believe that he committed suicide on Mount Washington, but the body has never been found. And authorities are wondering if he staged his death to evade the criminal charges. So we don't know. Did they find his car around Mount Washington or something like that? You know, I, I don't remember whether or not they found his vehicle. Hmm. Uh, I'd have to look into that. But um, there's a lot of people that sort of feel like this guy just disappeared and you know he's facing a a big fine and, and disappeared but it would be pretty impressive if he was able to it's been 14 years and they haven't located him which is pretty impressive yeah wow who knows i mean i could all it, it wouldn't shock me either way if the guy was hiding and you know didn't want to pay the money it wouldn't shock me if he found a place in mount washington committed suicide and hasn't been found yet so Kevin Race, 2007. Uh, the next case is a uh, younger younger gentleman by the name of Stefan Porithsu. And this happened in 2019. This is a weird case. So this is a like a 21, 22-year-old kid. He's missing as of now. The news reports indicate that he went missing sometime in March. He was last seen on Mount Washington near the auto road. Um, his car was found in Pinkham Notch. So he was seen like two, three days 
before um, he was reported missing, and eventually his car was found like a few days later. What what year was this? This is 2019. Okay, I remember this one. Yeah, yeah. So, and I remember specifically like this this kid was supposedly seen near the auto road, and there mm-hmm. was a post on one of the 4,000 footer. Uh, Facebook pages from an employee of the auto road that was like, you know, hey, just a reminder, you can't be on the auto road over winter. She had told this person, like, you need to hike down. I don't know if he was near Nelson Crag or if he was near Old Jackson Road or wherever. Mm -hmm. But that post had been deleted. When this kid went missing, the news reports had indicated that there was a sighting of him on, on the auto road. I've heard some chatter on the internet since then that... This kid may have never been on the auto road. He may have never even been on Mount Washington. So I don't know what to think really about what what's going on with this. But he was missing for a while. His cell phone did ping in Westford, Mass. Like two days after he was supposedly spotted. Oh, jeez, really? On Mount Washington. Wow. And he was from Lowell. But the weird thing is, is his car was found in Pinkham Notch. So. Mm-hmm. He's either on the mountain or he took his car up there to stage something to make it look like he was on the mountain and he's disappeared. So I don't really know. But it's very interesting, these cases. Like, I go, I can go either direction on them. Like, these these two gentlemen could be, you know, it could be that they died on the mountain and they're just never going to be found. I mean, I can realistically see that happening in those areas because it's impossible to cover every inch of those those regions. But... It also could be possible they're just living their lives in some Caribbean island. Yeah, well, well, that's what I find really difficult to believe that anybody could pull that off unless you're like some wealthy millionaire that, you know, with connections and this and that. Like, how the hell could you disappear yourself? That would be one hell of a a task in this digital age. Yeah, it would be hard. Exactly. Like, I think in the 19... 60s and 70s it was easier to do but like you said like in this digital age like you need credit cards you need passports social security numbers it just seems like mm-hmm. a really hard thing to do <laughs> amazing well that was, that was really informative yeah but there's a lot going on i mean there's a couple of other um cases here that i could i could get into but we're running out of time so um but eventually we'll revisit a lot of these cases particularly mara murray uh we will talk about that one from a search and rescue perspective in the future but i just wanted to do a quick segment on that to get things going yeah that was fantastic thank you and so anything else stop you want to cover before we close out i think we are good what's on the agenda next episode is waterfalls i was going to do a discussion about like um hiking popularity but i think we'll 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 put that one in the next episode because we're running out of time here okay sounds good thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show you can subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts if you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com that's s-l-a-s-r podcast.com you can also follow the show on facebook and instagram we hope you'll join us next week for another great show until next time on behalf of mike and stomp get out there and crush some peaks now covered in scratches blisters and bug bites chris staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever Fish and game officers say the hiker from florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning he was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.